This is a download from Force Migration Online. To find out more, please go to www.forcemigration.org. My name is Roland Schilling. I'm the head of the UNHCR office here in the United Kingdom. And I'm very, very pleased to have um, members of the Refugee Studies Center with us today who will um, share with us today their findings um, on protected, um, on how to unlock protected displacement situation on refugees and displaced person. And the topic is um, not only very timely, it is probably one of the, and if not the core theme of, of, of agencies like us engaged in finding solutions for refugees and displaced persons. And what I'm saying is it's probably the theme, um, having uh, all of you know, or maybe some of you have listened to the High Commissioner when he made, gave his lecture in October 2010 in Oxford at the Refugee Studies Center that he uh, pointed out to a very worrisome development over the last 20 years. And that's not so much that actually the refugees, the global refugees and displacement figures are increasing, but actually that if you look at the trend on the, say on the structure, that the development in relation to solution is declining dramatically. Uh, Two-thirds of all refugees today are in what's called protected refugee situation. More than half of all people who are internally um, displaced. And this has quite dramatic consequences of four millions of people directly concerned. Uh, just think about Dadaab, one of the largest human settlement in Kenya you would hardly find on a map. It should be a red spot, like it's a place like a city where people live in unconducive conditions now for for more than uh, almost 20 years, and um, something which had been planned on a temporary basis. Individuals like young Afghans, uh, second, third generation, grown up in Iran, fluently in Farsi, arriving in Turkey, now we some of them very close by in Croydon, who um, are kept here until they're 18, then returned to Kabul, um, place, probably a country they have never have any linkage with besides that their parents come in and just to be recycled. Um, increasing uh, developments that people, individuals affected by these non-solutions um, start to move on by themselves to find protection in the future with partly dire consequences. Increasing number of people who die um, by taking high risk crossing the sea. 15 to 20,000 individuals we estimate who try to enter Europe have died in the last 20 years. And it also affects um, not only, let's say, on a global scale, except even in places like at the periphery of refugee, of the refugee gravitas, where the centres where refugee movements occur, places like London, and the work of UNHCR here, and just, if I just recall what we do here, is actually mainly related to protectiveness of situation. Um, last week we were busy with the Somalia conference and the follow-up. We are busy in the moment by um, engaging UK support 
on a big conference in Sarajevo on solving the Western Balkans. Um, we addressed um, the government of the Turk and Caicos Islands to revise their um, status law, which will affect the um, rights of second-generation Haitians who live there in a total limbo. And we renegotiating um, with the UK border agency and the government of Cyprus solution of 50 Iraqis who are stranded on a military base in Cyprus since 1998. And um, we are not too optimistic that a quick solution will be found, which outlines actually that quite often there is a lot of work, there's a lot of engagement, but solutions coming not so often. And as I said, this needs indeed more thinking, more creativity. Um, it needs also leadership and former opinion leaders and policy makers. Not so many I've met. I remember the former US ambassador Richard Hulbrook, who made it very clear in a discussion I chatted with the High Commissioner, who made it very clear to him saying unsolved refugee and displacement problems are not only catastrophe for the people concerns, but they're also security threat. So it's not only pure altruism to get engaged, we need to address them better. And I'm therefore very, very pleased um, that the findings of the Refugee Study Center uh, are shared today with us and uh, hope for then afterwards an engaged discussion. Thank you very much. And I hand over to Eloise. Um, Eloise. Eloise, sorry. Who will introduce um, the speakers of tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Roland. Uh, yes, my name is Eloise Riodel, for those who, who don't know me. Um, I've been working at the Refugee Study Center as the uh, policy program manager for the last two and a half years. Before that, I've worked for a um, number of NGOs, um, uh, UNHCR and, and OCHA in Africa, uh, as well as uh, at, at headquarters. I'm, I'm really delighted that we are, you know, that UNHCR is hosting this event um, I mean, as you said, p protracted displacement is, n is not a new topic, and I think the RSC and UNHCR especially, but as well as other organizations, have been really trying to understand uh, the issue uh, for, for over a decade. Um, and, and, you know, and there are so, uh, uh, sort of notable progress, especially the 2009 XCOM conclusion on protracted uh, refugee situation, but, but really it's not the end of the story. And as Roland mentioned, it really uh, remains a sort of key priority for organizations like UNHCR, but it is also a priority for the Refugee Study Center to better understand the, the phenomenon. Um, I will not, I will let my, my colleague uh, uh, talk more about, uh, about the project, um, but I just wanted to say that um, in, at the end of November, we had um, we had an event in, in Nairobi on on, on on our project, and uh, later this month we are going to Amman. Um, so the, the the project has an international dimension, but we felt also because uh, you know a, a number of the uh, uh, people involved in the project are actually based in the UK, and we felt it was also relevant to engage with a UK-based audience. Um, and I and I hope that although the event today is relatively short, I hope that you know we will have a sort of fruitful discussion, and what comes out will inform our, our project uh, and, and and its follow up. So one word before introducing uh, my colleagues, I just wanted to mention that 
The presentations are being recorded on podcasts. Mm. Uh, however, the Q&A afterwards is, is not. So the, the sort of Chatham House rules of non-attribution uh, applies. So I will introduce um, the speakers in, in the order in which they will speak. And, and one by one, to them, not to speak for too long. So I will start really with uh, uh, Professor uh, Zetta. Roger Zetta was until September 2011 the fourth director of the Refugee Study Center and professor of refugee studies. Um, the main focus of his research, publication, and teaching has been on the institutional and policy dimension of forced migration and the impact on humanitarian assistance on refugees and asylum seekers. And particular aspect of um, his work concerns shelter and settlements, policy for refugees, urban displacement, environmental impact of climate change on population displacement, the experience of protracted exile, which we talk about today, repatriation and post-conflict reconstruction. So from 2010, uh, Roger has led uh, with me this, this what I would define as a, as a policy research project on unlocking crisis of protracted displacement for refugees and IDP. The, the project is funded by the Norwegian government uh, and has been conducted in partnership with several organizations, the Norwegian Institute for International Affairs, Norwegian Refugee Council, and the Internal Displacement Monitoring <coughs> Center. And we are happy to have Nur Mohamed Sheikh, who, who represents the organization with us today. So I'll, I'll now pass on the floor to Roger, and I'll introduce the other speakers uh, before. Louise, thank you very much. Um, I was reflecting on the, the title and, and uh, Roland sort of raised it, Unlocking Protracted Displacement. I think sort of it sounded rather ambitious when we set the project up, um, getting on to two years ago. Um, I think perhaps a, a more modest title might have been Towards Unlocking Protracted Displacement, because I'm afraid we don't have the magic keys here today to present to you. But we do, I think, have some quite significant findings, um, and we very much look forward to, to your response to them. Um, I'd like to thank very much uh, Roland and the, the UNHCR for, for hosting today's events. Um, uh, it's, uh, as, as he says, very, very timely, and I think it's uh, very good for us and the project as well to speak to as wide an audience as possible. And, Eloise has mentioned the, the workshops, the regional workshops that we've organised uh, as part of the project. I mean, in, t in terms of thinking about protracted displacement, I mean, however, whatever parameters you use, whether you use the, the kind of quite sort of formulaic or prescriptive accounts, or whether you look at it in terms of the kind of political economy or the socio-economic context of those people who are in protracted displacement, it is, as Roland said, a formidable problem and perhaps one of the biggest challenges I think the international community faces in terms of humanitarian responses to those conditions. The problem is not new but the way the problem I think is has developed over the last decade I think is very significant and a number of dimensions which I think Roland has alluded to the scale and the distribution uh, of populations under these conditions of protracted displacement, the impact it has on lives, lives livelihood, uh, security, the loss of economic and social well-being, um, the lack and loss of dignity, um, the way that the significant numbers of people in protracted displacement accentuate development pressures on their host countries as well as the loss of uh, development capital of the countries of origin as well. I think that's a very important dimension that's sometimes forgotten. And 
as, as Ronan said, the way in which these very substantial populations are symbolic or symptomatic of regional instability and particularly state fragility, although one uses that term slightly advisedly. And it's quite clear that in terms of trying to unlock these very sort of this complex matrix of conditions, the conventional solutions um, are found wanting. And it, that was really the entry point for this project. And our sense was that a lot of the academic research and quite a lot of the policy-driven um, research was very much, um, well, very much embedded, if you like, in, in, in the work of international relations theory and practice and, and political science. And whilst we took that as a context, what I think was very innovative about this project and what we've tried to do is really to, and, and my colleagues will talk about in the particular case studies, is to develop a kind of bottom-up view. What is actually happening on the ground? How are people in these displaced situations? How do they perceive their interests, their future? What kind of livelihood strategies are they developing? What kind of mobility strategies are they developing in, in uh, the, the, the countries of, of displacement? How do um, transnational social networks and the diasporic context of these populations, what, what kind of, uh, uh, how, how should we factor these in to the way in which people adjust, settle, maybe integrate uh, in their countries of exile? What about the nature of the political engagement that's taking place at the local level? And of course, issues of security and protection are uppermost. So the innovative, the, the really innovative aspect of this project is to try and marry or take as a context the, the top-down view, if you like, very much the, the IR perspective with a much more uh, nuanced um, anthropological, sociological, um, primarily assessment of what is happening on the ground. To do this, we uh, identified three uh, case studies. Um, we're going to be talking about two of those today. Uh, one of the case studies is the long-term displacement of Somali population, and I'm just going to be talking about that. So we, in, in the sense of trying to construct perhaps slightly artificial archetypes, if you like, of protracted displacement, we, we saw that as an enduring exemplar of that process. We then looked at the second case study, which was displacement from Iraq. Um, and the argument here, and, and Dawn and Nisreen will have conducted the work there, and they'll talk about that. And the argument here was that this was a protracted displacement situation that is in a process of development uh, and, a, and a process of, of change. And then the third case study, which um, again was contextual, was to um, look at a historical example, which was Central America in the 1980s and 1990s, to try and see whether there were lessons that could be learned from what some people might argue, although, uh, as the researcher pointed out, uh, this is not the case, is, is not a successful uh, unlocking of a protracted uh, refugee displacement situation in those countries in Central America, the enormous upheaval that took place then. But there certainly are lessons learned, some of the things that did work some of the uh, policy initiatives and interventions that didn't work. So those three projects really were, if you like, different transects of the phenomenon of displacement. And then the, the, the capstone, if you like, of the project, which, which Kate is going to be talking about, is really to try and draw out from the three case studies some of the kind of policy implications 
what are the kind of innovative strategies, what are the kind of innovative ways that we might look at the local, if you like, and look at what populations are doing, uh, what the displaced populations are doing, and trying to establish some of the parameters that might help to unlock these situations. I think what comes out of the, 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 the three case studies is that a case-specific perspective is absolutely vital. The, the notion that there can be sort of broadly prescribed uh, solutions, if you like, to unlocking these situations, I think what the research shows very, very precisely is that you have to work with the modalities at the local level with each particular case. Um, and there are variable dynamics in each of these cases um, and they're very episodic as well it's not as if uh, protracted displacement is a kind of fixed commodity um, particularly in the case of, of Somalia as Anna, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll discuss it's very very episodic and there are different windows different opportunities um, different capacities if you like to unlock bits of the situation rather than <coughs> a large scale um, all-in-one-go solution, if you like. A lot of issues, I think, about uh, the concern about long-term livelihoods and how the communities themselves adapt to their um, very uncertain status um, and issues of um, employment rights, rights protection, I think, become very, very significant here. Um, some quite challenging and controversial questions, I think, we ask about the kind of ways, inventive ways that are needed perhaps to um, establish better settlement, better modes of integration in uh, countries of um, countries where the refugees are displaced. And obviously then linking to issues of peace and justice and governance in the countries of origin. So essentially it's very much a focus I think on the, the sociology of displacement and the political economy of displacement but uh, from, a, from a local perspective. Um, what I've done is to try and sort of take the very broad picture of what the study has tried to do, the context, the objectives, and some of the, the, the key findings. But really it's the detail that, that is absolutely crucial. And I'm going to hand over now to, or back to Eloise to uh, the, introduce the rest of the, the evening's presentations. <coughs> 